yeah, this is this is reinforcement of what Christ says is the second greatest commandment to love others as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And for anyone listening that might struggle with that thinking, I don't love myself that much. I want to gently encourage you to examine deeper in that Mm -hmm. and that our self love is great. Even if we don't like ourselves or we maybe we even hate ourselves, the opposite of love is indifference. And no one is indifferent to themselves. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, uh, welcome to the Take and Read podcast. Pastor Chad here with Granger Smith. Now, you are not in a normal location. Tell me about where you are. I'm in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, in a hotel room. And we leave tonight for a show in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, tomorrow. But I came a little early because we took pictures for my the cover of my book that comes out next year. And so we, the publisher, HarperCollins, is here in Nashville. So that's where we came. Okay, so you're taking pictures for the cover of the book. What's the book about? Just give me the, the quick... You've, I, you've actually talked about it on the show before, but just yeah. by way of reminder. Yeah, it's called Like a River... And it's about the the grief of losing our son and then God's redemption through that grief, through that struggling, um, and the the supernatural change that happened in me during that time. And then into the the gift of Maverick, our our son that we have now. And so it's a it's gonna start off with with losing river and, and then it's gonna make a big turn of redemption through the book. So it's, it's really a book of hope. Amen. That's exciting stuff. So uh, this is episode 50, my friend. We yes. started this journey together about a year ago. It's been about a year. Yeah, and... in my journal recently I read uh, the first time we did it, that it was episode one, and it was just a few weeks ago. Oh, that's so cool. I can't believe it's been a year. And yet we're only into like Mark chapter 10. We've just barely gone over halfway. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. It's good. You know, um, some people have been asking for an update. And so if if people have been tracking with the podcast, I my family moved. We moved from Texas to Montana. I'm uh, a pastor at East Haven Baptist Church here in Kalispell, Montana, and so I'll give a shout out to all my my friends in Texas, as well as my new friends in Montana, and the family's doing well. We've transitioned. Uh, kids are plugged in at school, making lots of friends, and just really, really uh, feel the Lord's peace in this transition and a lot of affirmation. And so if you're watching this podcast, you'll see there's been a different background the last several, and uh, sometimes we've had video difficulty. Uh, So yeah, we're just in that transition space and just so grateful for technology making it available that I can still connect with some of my good friends through this podcast, like Granger. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. so you were you've you've been up in this area. You two are Montana in this region. So, yeah, what what's your take on this this part of the country? I just think it's um, you know, I feel sorry for you. You know, anyone gets called to <laughs> to Montana for ministry, it's just it's really a bummer. I'm so sorry that you you know you could have called you to a, a beautiful place like Little Rock, Arkansas, or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we we came to Montana, I believe, at least five or six times this year, which is probably more than we've ever been to Montana in one year. Uh, so we love we just love Montana, love going there, love the people. Um, 
One thing interesting I saw recently in Kalispell was I saw a lot of churches there. Uh-huh. What what is the story? Do you, is there some kind of history of the Jesus movement in Kalispell, Montana? No, I mean the history of the church in Montana is in in this part of Montana cuz my mom was born here, my um I was born and raised here and I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with a relationship with Jesus, but we we were involved very very loosely with the Lutheran denomination and there's there was a lot of that influence. Uh there is a decent um Catholic population. There's a pretty good size Mormon population. And so in terms of like just a conservative space, but there's just a lot of influence now. There's a lot of folks moving from out of state into into the area. They've they've experienced quite a bit of growth um in the last couple of years and so there's a lot of transition happening, but the the interesting thing is although there are probably several very good-sized churches for this area, as well as um, healthy churches, there's still a very large unchurched population in this region, which is interesting. So, yeah, I don't know about the history of the Jesus movement. I know that a lot of the denominations that came in and started planting churches, it was kind of in like the 70s and 80s when a lot of that was starting to happen. So. When you compare that to like Texas or parts of the South, it's a pretty young church in by comparison where the church right. I came from in Texas was 155 years old. So it's very right. different. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, something that I've been wrestling with, I'd love to get your take on this. And that is the possibility. And I wouldn't, I don't even know kind of even how to, to describe it other than an additional kind of iteration of this podcast, but it's a little bit more, um, I don't know, a faster pace. Uh, for instance, if it were to be a, rather than taking such a slow methodical, which I, I still love and, and plan on doing, but the idea of doing something where it's a chapter a time, and maybe it's my ability to take on something like Genesis and just cover like one whole chapter of Genesis and do more of a survey kind of look at a, you know, a chapter every episode that way can kind of cover more ground. I don't know. What are your thoughts? First thing I would say is let's get the people to comment below Yeah, on what, the, what they would like. Um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that that is also needed to do kind of the aerial survey of a chapter but I do personally feel uh, so enriched by the the slow pace of moving through one or two stanzas at a time. Right. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I was actually reading recently in a theology book that you know when the you know when this all these original texts were written, there weren't paragraphs. Right, You know, Greek and Hebrew, there weren't paragraphs as we know them today in the English language. And so these paragraphs were divided up by the early church fathers. And when they, when it was translated to English, it was basically they, the paragraph breaks were put at the end of a collection of a thought. Mm-hmm. It's not always perfect, as we see there's several times when there's a paragraph break that it kind of breaks the thought a little bit. But it for does, the most yeah. part, we see pretty consistent paragraph breaks. And that's what you're doing in this podcast, right? Correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, but you're, you're finding the complete thought that usually ends yeah. at the end of a paragraph. Yep. And that's a great way to run a podcast. Let's, let's go one thought at a time, really. Right. And there's, I've, what I've found is there is a, a challenge in this because there are sometimes where there are these, these complete thoughts that now compose a whole thought and yeah. and so there's times like even in today's passage, there's going to be a moment where we have to kind of step back and go, oh, so this has been there's a developing thought over what are, you know, multiple chapters uh, in in our Bible. But it's it's one big teaching like 
brush stroke, and then there's also little teeny thoughts that make up that bigger thought. So there's kind of a, a meta narrative in time, in sometimes the micro narrative. Yeah. But you would find that same problem if you did one chapter at a time. Totally, totally. And, <laughs> yeah. and my th- my thought is because I'm a I'm a verbal processor. That's why this format I think is just really natural for me because this is how I would love to engage in the scriptures regularly. I have someone like you or someone else where can take something and just kind of just chew on it out loud. And then you have different things you see and that provokes, you know, some thoughts of me and it's like, wow, we're really able to kind of get into some things. Um, but then there's the thought around this other one would be to almost kind of process out loud for people. So it would probably be me by myself with the occasional guest, but just kind of saying, here's how I would approach this chapter. These are the things that I see. These are the questions I have. These are maybe where I'm going to begin to do some research and unpack some some things that I don't readily understand. And, you know, just kind of almost do like a Bible study and just kind of think out loud and process out loud for people. I don't know if that would be helpful. So, yeah, like you said, uh, for th- folks listening, make a comment. Let me know yeah. if that's... If that's something that you would make time for, it would be shorter. It wouldn't be kind of the average of 45 minutes, but I'd try to make it more like a 20-minute, uh, 30 at the max. Uh, so if people are commuting or on their way to work, they could grab a, a chapter of the scriptures uh, you know, in commute. Uh, until, until you get to like Romans 8, 9, and 10, then you, then you turn into one-hour episodes. <laughs> that's right. It, that's funny because we're about to launch a sermon series on Romans 8. And it's a nine-week series, and so I'm prepping to preach that this uh, just coming up here, and so yeah, we are really gonna have to stretch that thing out. I'm talking to an agnostic on email right now that came after me, and I always I always enjoy that because I learn so much from these kind of uh, back and forth. But I do always feel like there's there is a divine intervention, uh, divine appointment when someone does come to me. And there's a feeling within me, within my own spirit that says, engage. Mm-hmm. And so I do. And the, the recent one is a woman, and she is an agnostic. She, I had her answer um, questions, check yes or no, on the following questions. Before we started, I want to get her take on God. Okay. Is he sovereign? Yes. Is he all-knowing? Yes. Is he good? Yes. Is he near? Yes. And um, is he is he just? Yes. Is he wrathful? Yes. So we went through all this, and she answered yes to all of them. But her big, her first big question was that she wrestles with, and this is her biggest thing: is how can you reconcile John three sixteen with Romans nine and predestination? Mm. And that's been a that could be a whole podcast series for you. On, mm-hmm. There are certain questions like that, like how do you wrestle God's love for the world with God's love for His people? Yeah. And is it a contradiction? We believe as Christians there are no contradictions. It's it's simply misunderstandings or misreadings of it. But it's a, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be a good one. And maybe I could I could uh, commandeer someone like you and say, hey, we're going to record like six of these bad boys that will be like in a row because we've just got to wrestle down this big topic and passage of scripture. That'd be sweet. You know, I'm down. Okay, good. I was, <laughs> I kind of put that out there hoping there would be an affirmation. So yes. in the comments, please uh, let us know if there were, would even be other topics like what Granger mentioned. Are there other topics that you, as you spend time in the word that are just hard to reconcile? They seem like, impossibilities like they both can't coexist and and what we find a lot of times is is there are paradoxes but not impossibilities and so Mm. we just have to recognize those those categories and and just be okay with that because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours and we're finite he's infinite and so there's just going to be some ways that we have to to wrestle with those things so that'd be good yeah all right episode 50 Let's do what we came here to do. Let's take and read the Word of God. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. 
Uh, I'm reading from the ESV. I've actually been hitting up the ESV quite a bit lately simply because my other paper translations, I know you kind of go electronic a lot, but I I need the physical Bible in my hand. And my other translations are in a box somewhere. And so I have to go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have fair to enough. just unpa- unpack them uh, at some point. But we are going to be in chapter 10, verses 35 through 45 today. And man, it's a a really interesting uh, little section. We get a snapshot into the life of the disciples with Jesus, like we have all along. Um, I think it's important to take a, a moment to just recap what we know about the Gospel of Mark since we started this journey a year ago, uh, and just recall what we know about the authorship, kind of where this stuff came from, and and who it's for. So, uh, uh, Granger, if you would, what what do you recall from our time together, and, and what you know about Mark? Who's it for? Who's it from? Kind of what what do we have in front of us? Yeah, beginning with um, this is the what we know is the oldest of the the four gospels, the synoptic gospels, and this is what we believe is um, written from Peter's stories to Mark. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark was not with Jesus, but he was with Peter, and so he was with a, a an eyewitness. Uh, in a lot of ways one of the three most important eyewitnesses, arguably. And so we get here the shortest gospel and the first. Um, a lot of ideas were reinforced in the the next three gospels that we get. And so I think it's a great place to start. It's also it's always it's also very cut and dry mm-hmm. and easy to understand. Um, Mark is Mark is a detail guy and I think it's a great place for this podcast to start or for anybody to start. There's really no right or wrong answer to the question of where should I start in the Bible? Right. Now, my answer is always, you're going to start at chapter one, verse one. But that being said, I think anyone could start with Matthew. I think, I think mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of stories of people starting with Luke, people starting with John, people starting with Genesis. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, Mark is a great place for us to go. He also, um, Mark died for this gospel um, and for the, for his faith, just like almost all of them did. And he died a terrible death, as, as we believe uh, through history, uh, was drugged to death behind horses in a town square until his skin literally fell off of his bones. And all he had to do was deny all of it. Yep, just renounce it. Just renounce it. Yeah, um, yeah, and to add to what you've said, we we know tradition has it that this is the the result of Peter's preaching to the Christians in Rome, particularly, and that uh, they wouldn't let him leave until they had a, a compilation of his teachings. And so, some some argue that's why it is so kind of cut and dried to the point. It's very fast pace. Uh, it. It doesn't give as much detail uh, in certain areas where in Luke or Matthew, where the same incident occurs, you'll you'll find more detail. This is just a lot more kind of moving down the road, quickly hitting on things, but yet it's still very intentional in its composition. Uh, there's there's definitely something we see the Lord doing through this. Uh, we believe this to be the inspired word of God, meaning we believe that God, by his spirit, inspired human authors through their own personality, skill level, uh, style, uh, to communicate exactly what he wants us to know, that, that this word is complete, it is the final and full revelation that God has for his people for all time. There's nothing that needs to be added to it, but it com- it communicates completely what God wants to communicate. It reveals what he wants it to reveal about himself, about us, about the world around us. And so, exactly. I, I don't want to take I don't want to take up too much time, but that brings I think you said that perfectly. And it brings up just a small point that th- we need to remember the gospel of Mark is not written by God. God's hand did not write the book of Mark. And that's sometimes that's 
that is an important detail to remember sometimes when we, when we think of other religious books that are claimed to be written word for word by God himself. Mm-hmm. These Gospels are written by man, man's hand, divinely inspired by the Word of God. Meaning, if we go back and we get ancient text of the book of Mark, and we see a punctuation or, or grammar missing from a scribe or a word misspelled, we can't go, see, God, God messed up. God mm-hmm. messed up. That being said, we are, we are 99% accurate, which is more accurate than any other ancient text we have in the mm-hmm. world, which is, that is amazing. So the other thought, just quickly, I'm sorry, I don't want to waste time, but the, another no, interesting we... thought to remember before we read these is that when Jesus ascended into heaven and they saw him in the flesh for the last time, the, the disciples' first reaction wasn't, we should write this down. Mm-hmm. Somebody give me a pen. It was, we should go into the world and tell this message verbally. Yeah. So that's why we could look at, for instance, the book of John written decades after. We can go, why did he take so long? Why did John take so long? Because it wasn't his first reaction to write a book. We see mm-hmm. that now. But his first reaction was to tell it. As many people as he could tell it. And so we have, we have these books, and it's remarkable how soon after Jesus these were written. But at the same time, we also need to remember there was some years that went by. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah, and that we have the confidence with that inspiration piece that it is what God wants to communicate. Yes. And there's a reason why you read one letter, and then you look at another letter, and they're different in style and personality. You read Peter's letters, you read Paul's letters, you read Luke's gospel, you read Old Testament, and you go, they're all kind of got different styles and, and ways of turns of phrase and different things. That's because that was their personality, is it was their educational background. It was, yeah. you know, we all have the things that we say, like, oh man, my dad always says that, or man, you sound yeah. like my friend who says that things that way. So there's this personality element that it's it's done through people, through personalities. And I think that's important to note. Love it. Um okay, so we're we're jumping in. Uh and what we've seen so far, some things that stand out in Mark's gospel, you have this sense of immediacy that that word immediately happens so often that it's immediately they went here, immediately they did this, immediately, immediately. Uh, there's some other things that stand out with the the misunderstanding and then the corrected understanding of the Messiah and what that was and who that was and what that means. For instance, there's this this under this understanding that's being corrected by Jesus over and over again that the Messiah was not going to become this political military figure that was going to overthrow the Roman government, which is what they were hoping for. And what they thought was coming, but his kingdom is completely upside down compared to how human kingdoms operate. And the way that he's going to assert his authority is going to be through suffering, eventual death, and he's going to conquer sin and death and the things that actually have power and sway over creation at this point. And so... Uh, there's some reordering of understanding that happens here, but it doesn't all just click immediately. It's we see that it takes time. So yeah. let's jump in. Uh, we'll read uh, starting in chapter ten, verse thirty-five through forty-five. Again, I'm in the ESV. Granger, are you ESV today? I'm ESV today. Sweet. All right, let's do this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Well, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, Do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. 
But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All righty, so we want to wrestle first with, do we clearly understand what this is saying? So let's, let's just kind of repaint the scene. Who's there? What's happening? Kind of what's, what's going down here? Yeah, so we have the whole crew. Yep. We have, we have all the disciples and Jesus. The whole gang is here. And it's, uh, to me, it's a really funny, it's a really funny request <laughs> that they yeah. make. Um, good old, good old brothers, James and John making this silly request. But, but I love that it's in here recorded so, so that we could see once again, that we've seen on all of your podcast, how close how close we are to the disciples and how their their brain works just like ours. Yes. Like, hey, hey Lord, I'm gonna look I'm a little bit more important to you than everyone else, right? Like you're gonna reward yeah. me at the end of this whole journey. Like I gave up I gave up fishing for you, right, Lord? So that's gonna I'm gonna yeah. get some special treatment in heaven, right? <laughs> or like they're trying to just maybe quickly secure their spot in advance if no one's called dibs hey can we yeah. since no one said <laughs> yeah. it are they're we good to, <laughs> <they are. laughs> that's exactly right they're calling shotgun and it's like you can't call shotgun that's not how this works and these you can hear at the end of this the other guy's going what are you doing guys what are you doing yeah. so yeah, so it's an interesting scene, and it comes at the tail end, like right before this, you have the third time that Jesus foretells his death and that he's about to suffer and die. And I've mentioned this on other episodes, but this occurs three times. And every time that it occurs, so you have the first instance being right after kind of the the center point in the crux of the gospel in chapter eight, when he asks Peter and the disciples, who do you say that, you know, who are people saying that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter confesses, you're the Christ. You are the Christ, you're the Messiah. And then after that, he immediately goes into saying, hey, the son of man's gonna go in and be rejected and suffer and die. And then he's like, no way, that's, what are you talking about? And then Peter gets rebuked. So there's this foretelling of it, then there's this failure by one of the disciples to understand, and then they get rejected, you know, then they get corrected. Well, it happens a second time, and then this is the third time, and each time he foretells his death, then there's some sort of failure on the part of the disciples to understand kind of the the moral structure and the ethic of the kingdom, and then he has to correct them and teach them again. And the first time it's with Peter— this last time, it's with James and John. So you think about the three, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, the ones closest to him. There's a demonstration here that even those guys, they just, this is the third time, and they're still struggling to understand just how the kingdom is set up and how it works. And so it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, you could almost hear Peter as he's, as he's dictating to Mark, and Mark says, that really happened? How did you feel about that? And Peter goes, I mean, we were mad. Yeah. We were mad at the, that they did that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And this is, this is the, another example of what I love that you say, the upside down kingdom. Yeah. Jesus once again is saying, you guys don't understand, the kingdom is upside down. Mm-hmm. And it takes them a long time. They really don't understand it until the resurrection, but up until the resurrection, they continue to try to grasp what this kingdom is about because all they know is earthly kingdoms and ranking Mm -hmm. systems and 
and people exactly. that are higher ranked under the king. And Jesus says, I didn't come to be served mm-hmm. like, like the normal kings of this earth. And so this is a great little piece for us to meditate on. And I think uh, I was talking to a group of college students the other day, and we were talking about the kind of the authenticity or the historical reliability of these historical accounts in the New Testament. And one of the things that I think is is important to recognize is when the authors, like this is coming essentially from Peter, this gospel, through Mark, but it's Peter's eyewitness testimony of how things played out. And yet, Peter, time and time again, is showing the shortcomings of himself and even his brothers, the other disciples, and just how they did not get it. And there's something about the sincerity to recall what happened and to have a level of humility to say, yeah, we just, three times he told us, and every time it was like, we just didn't get it. And so we would immediately demonstrate that we didn't get it and we'd ask some dumb question or we would totally misunderstand and he had to teach he had to correct us he had to teach us again when you're willing to show that level of um i don't know if ignorance is the right word but just that inability to grasp it and that you're willing to be that vulnerable it gives indication that maybe you're being sincere and you're you're recounting what actually happened because I don't great, know about you, great but point. I don't, when I retell stories and they're not favorable, I'll try to just give the softest edge to my idiocy that I possibly can and, and downplay my shortcomings. But th- that's not happening here. And I great think that point. we have to just accept that, that this is what, this is what took place and evidenced by that some of those things. Really good. Um, Okay, so we've got this scene. There's this this interesting phrases here where they they make this request. Okay, so James and John are like, "Hey, when this all plays out, can we sit at your right hand and your left? Can we have the seats of honor in this eventual kind of kingdom, and so that we can um, sit in your glory? We want to just be there, and we want to be kind of the first ones in line." And so he asks them, do you know what you're asking? Do you, do you truly get what you're asking me about right now? And they're like, uh, or then he says, do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? And they're like, yep, we got it. We're good. And he's like, you will, yep, you will drink the cup. And don't worry, you will be baptized but you don't understand what you're asking right now. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's important to wrestle through like, what is he talking about there? Why did he ask that? Like what's. Was this the first time in this gospel that we hear about the metaphorical cup? Yes. Yeah. So this would have been like a, is is this like a, a Jewish cup of something? Uh, But yeah, it's before that Jesus prays to the Father, please take this cup from my hand, right? Which is the cup of suffering. That's what yeah. that references. And they don't know what he's talking about. So maybe they're like, well, yeah, we we sit at, at dinner with you and we share a cup sometimes. So, yeah, we can drink out of your cup. And I think he's indicating you you don't know what you're asking. To, to, sit, at my, to sit in my glory, the pathway to glory in this life is through suffering, not yeah. conquering, not conquest. It's it's a cup of suffering that you'll drink. It's a baptism of suffering that you will experience. And you will. You're going to get it. Don't worry. Your time will come. And they just don't, they don't get it. I think yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. They, they still don't even get it when they hear him in the garden saying this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so good. This is the this is the precursor to Peter's big revelation that he has after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. biggest transformation we see in all of them. And Peter, it's just such a great story 
to think to think of the two versions that we have of Peter, the Peter that was um, that was very zealous for his Lord, but uh, completely in the wrong way. It was it was to serve, but not to be or to to be served, but not to serve. And he had no idea, none of them had any idea what this term, to give his life as a ransom for many, they still didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. And that's highlighted in my version, that verse 45, because it's that is the critical part of this passage, is, yeah. to, is for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is, that is the center point of the mm-hmm. entire Bible. It's the center yeah. point of our, of our entire faith is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you think how that loops back to his response to their question. He asks them, will you drink from the cup that I will drink from or that I drink, or can you be baptized with the same baptism? And they're like, yeah, we're totally good. And But we realize on this side of the cross that what the cup of suffering symbolizes um, and that there is a sense in which the cup represents the Lord's Supper that he implemented, which is the body and the blood, which is the cup of the new covenant in his blood uh, for the forgiveness of many. And then you understand, too, that we on this side of the cross that baptism represents just that, right? This idea of dying with him in a death like his, and then being raised to walk in newness of life. And so when he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many, the cup and the baptism he's referencing is is that thing, Mm. is exactly that. So there's almost two parts to this passage where there's this interaction with James and John and Jesus, and then in verse 45, it kind of transitions um, no, in 41, and then you've got the rest of the crew. They're like, what in the world are you guys, <laughs> you thick-headed, like, what are you doing? And then Jesus unpacks even more teaching that gives insight into his response, I think. Um, but you're right, the, the verse 45 is kind of the key element. That's the culmination of what this section is trying to indicate, that this upside-down kingdom Achievement is suffering. Achievement is serving everyone else. That's what it looks like to advance. If that's what your priority is, it means to suffer and to serve. And do you think Mark thought about that as he was being drugged behind the horse by his ankles? Absolutely. Absolutely. You think he thought, here's the cup. Yeah. Yeah, and Peter being crucified upside down as upside we, down. we believe. Uh, you think he thought about this at that Amen. time? You think he thought about the, the words of his Lord? Here it is. Here's the cup, Lord. Yeah. And I think, you know, understanding what this text says and what this clearly means, I think that's where you and I, we wrestle, because in this American prosperous situation we find ourselves in a very achieve-driven culture, this is a hard pill to swallow because I don't know about you, but I'm, I can relate so much to the, hey, Jesus, can I have the, the can I call dibs? Can I call shoddy? on the right hand and Granger on the left. Like, can we just be right there? That would be sweet. We're, we're going to do good stuff in your name. We're going to make a big deal about who you are. We're going to just get the word out and we're going to achieve, achieve, achieve. And he's like, okay, boys, can you drink the cup? You going to be baptized with the baptism, the death to self, to life, to me, the cup of suffering. Are you willing to, cause yeah, it's right here. I came not to to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. You boys ready? Give your lives as ransom. Make my name known, not yours. Yeah. Whoa. 
Yeah. That's, that's and, what we're signing and, up for. And we also can't overlook the, the prophetic word that Jesus spoke with, the cup that I drink, you will drink. Mm. And, the, and with the baptism which, and with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Yeah. He, he speaks through this, through his, his Jesus has uh, the best questions. He always answers a question with a question, but then here comes the, the prophetic word. It, because he already knew the answer. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus does that throughout the Gospels too. We can't, we can't overlook the fact that he's asking questions, but he also already knows. Yeah. And he says this, you know, you're going to drink this cup and you're going to be baptized with this baptism. However, the, the seats that you're talking about, they're not mine to give. And, and so just here's what you need to know. Okay, this is how it's going to play out. And it begs the question, when we get there, I wonder who we're going to find seated. Yeah. The right and the left. I think it's going to be, in human terms, the most obscure, unknown, unrecognized saints. And it's we're going to be like, golly, and they're going to be seats of honor and authority and there'll be people we've never heard of. Absolutely. Jesus is saying here, Jesus is, is showing us, we know that he was the perfect man. And, mm-hmm. and it, entry-level Christianity, we understand Jesus is the perfect human. We, yeah. we get that. It, kindergartners get that. But what we need to see is why was he perfect? Why was he without sin? Why do we consider himself the one to emulate And here it is right here in verse 40. The reason he's perfect is because of obedience. Mm. Obedience is courage. Obedience is perfection in earthly terms. And we can't miss that. It's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, Be strong, stand firm in the faith, act like men. That term, act like men... I could be speaking to the ladies of the podcast as well, but act like men in Hebrew means be courageous. And we see be, have courage or be courageous throughout the Old Testament. That's always connected with obedience. Mm -hmm. Obedience, being, having courage as a human is connected biblically with obedience. And Jesus displayed perfect obedience making him the perfect way to act like a man mm-hmm. yeah uh, and and we always have to keep obedience in its right place that it's never before salvation it's always a response to the fact that we are in christ correct our human hearts will slip into a performance mode why because we want to achieve and so we'll think that my obedience necessitates God has to hook me up. God, you owe me, or God, look what I've done for you, or I'm trying to keep or earn his love and favor, and none of that is true. Because if if that's true, that's just a life of anxiety. If I obey yes. without any kind of security about who I am in Christ, I'm only going to be anxious because I'm going to always wonder, am I doing enough? Have I achieved enough? And then when I fail, I'm going to be worried that somehow I've lost uh, his love, his favor, uh, my spot in heaven, and so I'm anxious. The other side of that is if I have security and I know that I'm in Christ and I'm good to go, but I don't have obedience, well, then I'm, I'm lazy and I am complacent and I'm ineffective to do the works that God has called and prepared for me to do. And so there's this healthy tension between security and obedience, and it's always important to maintain that tension. It's a good word. Uh, So if you had to kind of isolate a takeaway, your time in the Word as as a child of the Most High God, called by Him in Christ, as a husband, as a father, what do you walk away today going, okay, this passage, this is, this is, this is a big one. Yeah, this is 
this is reinforcement of what Christ says is the second greatest commandment to love others as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And for anyone listening that might struggle with that thinking, I don't love myself that much. I want to gently encourage you to examine deeper in that Mm -hmm. and that our self love is great. Even if we don't like ourselves or we maybe we even hate ourselves. The opposite of love is indifference. And no one is indifferent to themselves. No yep. one says, I don't care either way. Not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. Give or take. Just not really that big a deal. Yeah. We're all in. Either because we self-destruction or, or if you want to call it, you know, self love, but, but it's, it's, we're always very passionate about ourselves. And so yeah. Jesus says that this, the first commandment would be to love our God. And the second mm-hmm. would be to love others as we love ourselves. And that is exactly what he's saying with the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And as we emulate that, it's about serving others. So the takeaway from this read would be, what. Well, what could I do to serve my wife better? What could mm-hmm. I do to serve my kids better, my coworkers better, a stranger on the street? What could I do to serve them better as I would want to be served? Mm-hmm. And the result of that, miraculously, is joy. Mm-hmm. We receive joy from serving others. Amen. And thank God that we do. Otherwise, that would be a very hard commandment uh-huh. if we actually hated serving. But we find that when we do serve, we feel fulfilled mm-hmm. greater than if we serve ourselves. Amen. Yeah, I think the the challenge and the takeaway for me is similar is this idea of the dying to self is not a kind of an initial posture that I take and that somehow is going to stay with me, but it's a daily decision. Yeah. I got I'm today again. Yes, I I walked and I got to experience the joy of obedience maybe yesterday, maybe I didn't. But today it's same thing. Um, you know, wash, rinse, repeat and I'm going to try to serve. I'm going to try to die to self and the more that I'm capable of doing that, the more joy I'm going to experience in the Lord. And yeah. and I think that the the assurance and uh, the closeness to Christ I will experience as well to the degree that I do that. Not yes. have I earned his favor today, not have I secured my spot in heaven, but it's a, the more that I do live this way, I'm going to fe- feel joy and intimacy or closeness to the creator. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm just challenged with that today. And I'm also challenged by, something that's that's true of the text but not in this passage and that is the willingness of peter and other apostles to to be open about their failures and their shortcomings to not get it sometimes and i think i'm challenged as a as a as a pastor and as a husband and as father to to be willing to say the times that man i don't understand or i don't get it um or this confuses me or I blew it, and will you please forgive me? Uh, and to be vulnerable and to be honest about my walk, I think there's something there too. So good. Brother, 50 in the books. Boom. I love it. Boom. That's awesome. Well, if in, for anybody in about, who's- about uh, five or six years, we'll get to the, the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, we'll, we'll finish out Mark <laughs> probably in the next two or three years. Uh, <laughs> that'll be good. Um, yeah, for people that are listening, I would really appreciate your input on the possibility of a, of a kind of a branch off of this style of podcast. Not that I would stop doing this, but in addition, um, maybe a kind of a, a, I don't know what you would call that, a a faster cadence, uh, through the text to give more of a survey, uh, of various books of the Bible, uh, doing it a chapter at a time. Uh, I'd love to get your input on that. If you are tuning in and uh, you've been listening and you are not a follower of Christ, 
I applaud you for engaging. I encourage you to continue to take and read. Find a a translation of the Bible that makes sense to you. You can get uh, any version of the Bible online on your phone. You can download it. You don't need to go to a bookstore and buy it. You can easily get uh, the ESV that we were just reading from. That's available free online. You can read it. You can have it read to you, audio Bible uh, style, but continue to take and read and wrestle with uh, the book that has had the most profound impact on human history and on our culture. And so it's a good thing for you to read. And I would say believers out there, continue to take and read. If you've heard this and you do not have a relationship with Christ, but you would like to know how that starts, my encouragement to you is to right now, humble yourself, take uh, whatever posture you would like to, but begin talking with God, and it's nothing complicated. There's no special uh, um, words that you say. There's no certain incantation. All you do is you acknowledge that you you believe. You believe that Jesus is, in fact, God. You believe it. You believe that claim, and you believe that that means he is capable of taking your sin and that you acknowledge you're a sinner and that you have absolute need and you have no other hope outside of him and you're broken and you want him to come in and help restore you, then just cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm yours. Lord Jesus, I'm yours and I need you. I have no other hope. Please take me. And he will, he will come into your life. His spirit will dwell in your heart and you will begin to experience the joy of faithful obedience with him as he comes in and gives you new eyes to see, new ears to hear, and an ability to walk in obedience. Uh, And when you read, he'll give you insight. Just ask him for help to understand what you're reading. And then find a, a church family, find a local church Go in and go up to that pastor and say, I I just started this thing, this journey, and I need help. Where do I start? And and they will find someone that you can walk with that can pour into you and help you figure out how to do this thing of following Jesus. So I encourage you, if and if you want to make that uh, known, you can put it in the comments that you made that decision. You yeah. can reach out to me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to Granger. Uh, he's on every platform available to man. So you can find him. You can find me. Email us. We'd, be, we'd love to pray with you and encourage you in your walk. So, Granger, number 50. Thank you, brother. I love you, man, and I wait. I can't wait to do this again soon. Love you too, brother. Always a pleasure to be on this. All righty. Well, everyone out there, go take and read the Word of God. <laughs>